0: to Matthew chapter 8 as we get to uh, go into our sermon and our study. Thank you for joining us on this Labor Day. I know you've worked all year to get back to this point, and of course, I wouldn't be up here in such a great mood if had Georgia not won yesterday. We would have had a different sermon, but today we have a great sermon I hope to bring for you, and uh, if you know me, you know I love football, so it was a great Thursday. It was a great Friday. It was a great Saturday. I've been football embellished. I think I've been baptized in the football. Uh, even though, ironically, I never even played, but I love it and I love watching it. It was a great game. So go Georgia. Um, and of course, Mike. Mike is a big Tennessee fan, so he'll he'll have his game today. We pray that they lose, because uh, there's nothing worse than being in the same office with him and and having to listen to that as we compete throughout the the rest of the season. So. Uh, it used to be LSU, Georgia, Tennessee, so right now it's just me and, and me and Mike, so we'll battle it out. Of course, I realize when you put G and T together, you get Georgia Tech, so I guess I've got to be a Tech fan around here somewhere. Uh, but anyways, thank you for joining us, and again, it's Labor Day, and you know, when we think about Labor Day, we think about all the hard toils that we've had all year and the things we've done, and there's one thing that's on your body that I want you to really take notice of, and while you're sitting there, just take a look at these two things, we call them your hands, and they have five fingers and just look at these five fingers and look at how, they, have, how they, they can do things and how amazing they are as far as being a part of our body. And as we continue to examine them, if somebody were to do a documentary on your hands from the day that you were born, the first thing they might encounter is to see that whole grip going around your one parent's finger as it continues to grip them when you first came out of the womb. And then later on, you might see the documentary progress as you start learning how to eat as you grasp a spoon and put it all over your face. And then, maybe, as you begin to start to walk, you start grabbing a hold of those walkers that we know every kid has, and you start to push that walker around. But then, as we continue on with this documentary, you might start seeing the hands start to change a little bit from the the precious moments. As we per se, going into a little bit more aggressiveness as it maybe takes this toy from the brother or the sister. Or maybe the, in the anger, it slaps back. And maybe later on, we start seeing the fist start become or the hands start becoming a fist. And we start really realizing that these hands are powerful tools of our bodies. In one moment, they could be gracious and, and, and extended and going for love in precious moments as it, as it puts on the ring of the finger of your mate to the uh, opportunity to hold your child for the first time. And on the opposite end, we see how quickly the hand can be balled. And in, instead of pushing out uh, its hand in for, uh, to give, it's demanding. And we start seeing the hand start to change. And what we realize at that moment is that our hands, unmanaged, are pretty powerful, aggressive weapons. Uh, and, but managed, our hands become tools for God. Uh, as we fold them in prayer, as we lift one another up, as we put our hands upon the other brother or the sister in praying for the healing, we find out how awesome our hands are. And so they, the very hands that we have, if we surrender them, these five-finger appendages become hands of heaven. But, you know, attached to the hand is the body, and the body is an aggressive uh, piece of equipment itself. It can, it can be uh, heartfelt, and it can be very bold in what it's going to do. But the body, unfortunately, is subjected to sickness, and there are times when our sickness overcomes us and the things that our body can't fight off, and we start seeing these sicknesses overtake us. And in the case of Brother Terry, he, he didn't know he was sick for such a long time, and we see what's going on inside of him. He was trying to take care of himself. He thought he was doing the right things, and yet he wasn't able to manage what was going on, and so that sickness starts to take over him, and, and, and then these hands that are attached become useless when the body gets sick. Uh, We have many things in our bodies, not only that can get sick inside, but we can have the sick thoughts. Uh, We can have things that make us sick. I know I wrote a check uh, just recently for an engine for my son's truck. That made me sick. Uh, And it would probably make all of y'all sick if y'all saw the repair repair bill. But I'm not talking about sick people. I'm definitely not talking about sick objects. I'm talking about the sick and hurting, the rejected. We have considered those who are sick and rejected the outsiders, outside of what is normal to us as we as a whole or our nation, our schools and our community, especially our church. If they're not within the norm of us, as we see them fit, we think they are sick and we oust them. And the world is starting to gain a surplus of those rejected. The church has defaulted itself to a Jewish law is what I think is what happened. It's a law in Leviticus. And then when we saw those who were unclean, they would go to the priest and the priest would declare them unclean and actually push them out. And I think that's sort of what's going on here. In our church today, as we consider, we're looking at the sick and the hurting, and instead of lifting them up and putting our hands and bringing them into the gospel, we actually push them out and tell them the hands are rejected. So today we're going to be talking about the ultimate outcast, and we're going to talk about this in such a way that I want you to understand that since it's Labor Day and Jesus, with his hands toiled in his ministry, he didn't hold back his loving touch. He extended his grace and his personal touch as we should as well. So I hope to lead you again in this sermon that we are to be Savior's hands of compassion and forgiveness and not the finger-accusing, fist-pumping church that you have some have become. In the book of Matthew, and I want to explain, explain what we're going through in here, but the book of Matthew uh, has a very interesting portion in verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Now, both Mark and Luke tell of the same story written in Matthew, but they don't seem to tell us enough. There's not a whole lot there to really grasp. What I was grasping for more questions. I looked in many different places for the answers. I went to commentaries, and I went to different hold him in bible studies to find out who this man was that i'm going to be talking about today but in verse 8 chapter uh i'm sorry chapter 8 verse 1 we see a large crowd follows jesus as he came down from the mountainside now understand this mountainside is the sermon of the mount he is now coming down from days where he has been up there teaching the people and what we're about to see here is jesus is about to exercise his authority and his compassion to heal a physical disease and it says He uh, came down, large crowds following. in verse two, suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt before him. Lord, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Let me talk about what leprosy was in that day. It's a very, uh, it was contagious skin disease. And once you got it, you would start to notice it because pieces of your fingers or on your body would start to go numb and then what would happen is that uh, it would go so numb you wouldn't know it and you could cut yourself and not know that you were bleeding and you would bleed on yourself and then the, 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 the flesh would start to decay and rot and... Slowly and slowly, but surely, you're rotting from the inside out and from the outside in, everything's going down, you start losing pieces of your, your fingers and your wrist and then your arms and your legs. And so these people were considered very unclean in their appearance, and it was a grotesque thing to see, see somebody with leprosy, and, and often they wore white bandages around their hands or around their bodies, and, they, and even back then, there was such a, it was such a bad disease that they were actually thrown out of the city and told never to come back. No one touched them. No one talked to them. They were scared to death of these people. In fact, if they came near, the people would cover their mouth and duck their eyes just in case that they might be infected. So this is a very serious disease because there's no known cure at this time for this disease. And so they were banished from their homes and their cities, and they were just thrown out to live in a community with other people as they were inflicted. Now, understand this was the normal course of action for these people in this day. This was still the normal thing. They, they did not think differently of this. This was a normal thought. But on the inside, the people would probably rationalize as to why they got that disease, thinking they were a sinner. Maybe their parents were sinners. Something caused them to get that disease. But that's how the people looked at them. And so they were thrown out as unclean and no contact was made with these people. Now, as I visualize this man right here, it says, doesn't say who he was and where he came from. But I get to thinking about him and he might have had this disease for several years and no one touched him. Not one person, not his family, not his wife, not his kids. They might have saw him, but they did not speak to him. They, they, he would have been lucky if they bumped into him. Quite honestly, that probably didn't happen because as he walked down the street, people would run to the other side. Unclean and contagious. He was not even allowed in the streets, around people. He wrapped in rags with a bell tied around his neck to warn those who came near him. Pretty awful way to live your life out, knowing you can't be approached and touched, bumped into. He's ousted. He's the ultimate outcast. He has something nobody wants. Now understand, this leprosy, up until about 1969, was still very much a part of our society. In fact, Hawaii had a leopard colony. In fact, there were still people, from what I tried to read, are still there in this leopard colony, left, because of the scarring that took place. Now, we, we don't have any cases of leprosy anymore, but these are still there. But even in our own society, it might not be leprosy, but we have the Ebola outbreak. The CDC brought two people back from Africa, and the world went crazy in Atlanta thinking we were all going to get Ebola. They separated them. But this man in verse two does something very, very unusual. He's going to break the rule right here. He's going to make an attempt to get to Jesus, something that very few opportunities give when we have such an ousted sin. You see, I know if I was a sinner, and I think about the days when I was a sinner, I'm still a sinner, not perfect. I think about those times where it was difficult to walk through those doors. Maybe I had drank too much the night before. And I'm thinking if I walk through that door, they're going to smell it on my breath? Maybe there was a customer that I went to their house and I might have said something inappropriate. So I know what that's like to make an appearance into a church. It's a, it's a one-in-a-lifetime opportunity for some. Some are out there who are homeless and they're sick and they're hurting. And they don't want to come into this building because they're afraid that you're going to notice them that 's the first thing this guy does. He throws all that out. He breaks the rules of his condition for worldly fear and judgment. He does not care, and he makes an up- Appearance here to Jesus says, suddenly a man with leprosy approached him and knelt down. And you got to know the people in that crowd were screaming. The children were probably ducking behind their parents. And their parents were covering their mouth and ducking their eyes. They didn't want to see this man. Why is he here? Why has he done what he's done? Why is he breaking the rules that we've set forth? He should be gone, ousted. Don't come back. You're not welcome. Perfect people only allowed here. Mike, one time we went and met with a guy and he said, If that's how your church is, if you've got all the people you want and you're good with what you have, put a big sign out there and say, we got everybody we need, everyone else, go to hell that 's what we 're doing here that 's what has happened in our own Christian environment, especially in the church as people make an appearance, they come down the aisles. We stop them no you 're not welcome here, but i 'll tell you what, Solid Rock is not one of those places it 's one of the greatest joys I get to be here and watch people come onto this campus and as you well get to see people come on this campus, maybe the unfortunate, maybe the ones who have had a little bit a rougher time than the rest of us but Here, we have this opportunity. So he makes this appearance and he is seeking the cross and no one is stopping him at this moment, mainly because they're scared of him. But he has a right as he makes this appearance and he kneels before the Lord and he says, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. I wanna make another one, invert in my second point. He makes one request. Now, the reverence for the church as an extension of the Lord's Savior, I believe has been lost. We ask for requests for just a temporary relief that we have in our lives. Many times we come to, we have a financial crisis, we make one appearance, we make one frivolous request for a temporary solution. We don't come to the Lord Jesus in the reverence that we should. We don't bring it down here to kneel down before the altar and lay it all down. No, instead we do the small ways. We want the temporary relief like aloe for a sunburn. Yes, it feels good at first, but does it really heal anything? No, you got to get out of the sun you got to cover it up. you got to put the sunblock on. Asking for the temporary relief will get you nowhere. It will still scar you. And so we see this so often in our own, in our own outcomes, in our own church. You know, people don't seek a long-term solution. They're seeking worldly requests. But let me tell you what. Let me tell you what the world is doing. They also are seeking worldly requests, and it is being answered to them. There is a group in Florida, I think it's an atheist group, who went and was suing the school system to get school prayer out of the football team. This is the chaplain. This is a man who has a church and donates his time to go pray with the football team. And now they're making the request not to have it done, and the world is answering them, answering them. I don't understand it. Nobody stopped this. Nobody stopped it. It's happening in Newton County. We can't even get onto the football field. At least Florida had an open door. I've tried many times to get out there. No, we're not going down that road. There is a community Christian center been trying to get going for the school system. We can't even get a, a conversation with the superintendent. And we're just making one request. But on the opposite end of that, somebody else is making the request not to have a scene, and theirs is being answered. You know, God's people are just in denial that God can fix their problems. As I was thinking about my sermon and going through, I don't know why I get on Facebook a lot, but I got on Facebook and I started researching some Facebook people. Hey, maybe there's something out there that people have some cool uh, little captions I can use in my sermon. And, but I came across this one Facebook page, and the title of the page is, I believe in God, but I don't trust him. I believe in him, but I don't trust him. And then I read their little bio, and it says, Most everyone believes that there is some power beyond everyone's control, and we call it God. I believe that there is a God, but the thing is I don't trust him. I trust myself, my parents, my friends, and things I use, but not God. See, they're seeking an alternate form of faith in that case. And I believe our young people will do the same thing if we don't teach them in the ways of Christian moral ethic values. They will seek a different form of belief, and they are doing it. We only have three today that came up here and talked about when they came through children's ministry and youth ministry and how it changed their life, and it did change their life because they're still here. But there are so many who made a one-time appearance who didn't hear the gospel and walked back out those doors and never heard anything about their testimony or never understood what a testimony was, never understood what salvation was, and therefore they are back lost in the world. And they, we do whatever we can to get them back. We stage things here at the church. We have 25th anniversaries to try, to try to get them back to the church. We have a softball program to try and get them back to the church. We have food, medical. We have different clinics to try to get them back to the church. But we do what we can when we get them here. But they're all seeking alternate forms of faith. But Matthew records an act of faith commonly overlooked as confident words, not necessarily the confidence in Jesus' willingness, but his uh, primary ability, if he, if he, not that he would but that he could. And this leopard man, he seeks out Jesus and he kneels before him. He says, Lord, in respect, the man said, if you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. We come to the feet of Jesus so often and forget that's who we're walking out to. So many times we think we're walking to a idol of worship. I I, I do believe that. I believe we wear our crosses, but we don't understand what the cross meant to us anymore. People don't respect the church. It's because the church is made up of immoral people. I get it. Unethical people. I know. Church believers think they're perfect. We know that. Because they believe they are perfect. But they forget it isn't through Christ Jesus who made them perfect. That we were extended these hands of grace by God. It's not the church that saves you. I've told youth that all the time. It's not the youth group that saves you. It's not children's ministry that saves you, especially not nursery that saves you. You're just lucky to get out of that thing. But it is Jesus Christ who saves you. We can't do it. We just present it. And we pray from our presentation that you understand it, that you receive that Holy Spirit so that you can be spotless and, and blameless in front of God's people. The leper makes one request in reverence to Jesus. He's seeking him out, God's will for his life—not the temporary leap, but the long-term, the lifelong, life-changing request for healing. And so we see on the third point, he receives one touch. And in verse three, Jesus reached out and touched him. "I am willing," he said. "Be healed." And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. In verse 4, then Jesus said to him, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy. This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. Look at the very first in verse 3 as Jesus reaches out and touched him. Yes, the man could have been healed by just the words of Jesus alone because he does it in the next section of this book. He actually, with the Roman authority. But in here, instead of just saying it, he does it. Now, you've got to know that the people at that moment were like, oh, what is he about to do? He is not about to touch that leper, that unclean, sin-person leper with that contagious disease. I don't even think they understand the authority and the power that Jesus has at this moment. They realize that he cannot be unclean for who he is. But instead of just saying it, he reaches down and he touches him. The first time this man has received a touch in I don't know how many years— nobody's bumped into him nobody's helped him up nobody's come to his aid and now jesus is putting his hands upon him i am willing so many people in our church come down here they pray by themselves and no one puts a hand on them they make the one appearance they making one request and no one comes down here to give them anything that's where it has to change And that's where Jesus changed it all right then and there. In verse 3, he puts his hands on him. He touches him. The guy hasn't felt warmth like that in such a long time. You've got to know the Holy Spirit was running through his body, and he felt that warmth. And then not only did he touch him, but when he stands him up, he talks to him face to face. The breath of Jesus was covering his face. You know he had to feel it for the first time in so long. He hadn't had that in a long time. Nobody's touched him. Nobody's even said a word to him. And now this Lord Jesus... Jesus is changing him. The leprosy is gone, banished. He is a clean person. And now he gets the instructions. Now, Jesus ain't telling him, don't go share what I've done. He just tell him to do it in the ways of the Lord's, uh, Lord's commandments, the laws that he was supposed to fulfill. That's what happens here. Jesus is not trying to hide what he did. He knows what he did. He wants the guy to go back. He wants him to take it back to the church to which banished him and told him to get out. He wants to bring that back to the church so that they can see the glory of God and what God has done in his life. You know, I find this funny that when people get saved and they turn their life around, the church still is in denial. They still call them the outcast. No, what you did is unforgivable. Which is, I don't know if like you, but I've read the Bible forwards and backwards. I haven't found the unforgivable yet. Everyone is forgiven in Christ Jesus. His life has changed forever. You know you've touched God when you see the miracles happen. In fact, this week, Terry calls, and he's upbeat, and he's sounding better, and he's, hey, I'm going to be back in three to four weeks, and yet I'm still in denial. I'm still thinking, no, there's no way. I don't believe God can heal you that quick. That's kind of what I said. Isn't that ridiculous? Me and Mike are both scratching their heads. Terry said he's coming back in three or four weeks. How's this? Like we deny God's awesome power to heal. And here we are with ministers of the church and we're still scratching, How does that happen? I mean, I wish he'd come back right now and start playing guitar. I'd love to see him. But he still has a a little bit more time to go. I I don't wanna say that. But Terry is being healed. The son of the father is healing him. And when he comes back, His testimony is going to be so bold and so fantastic. And he's going to tell you how he put everything down for Jesus and how the Lord Savior touched him. Now, haven't you want to be touched? Think about our ousted people. There are so many people that maybe come here today. Maybe they have made the appearance today to make that one request to follow Jesus so that they can receive the healing hands. And yes, it is a healing hand, and it is forever. But I'm sort of concerned about the ones who have voluntarily put themselves in exile the ones we can't find anymore the ones when we send out the emails and the facebook paste and the, and the postcards the ones that don't respond the hurt maybe that have happened here in the church maybe the hurt in their own family they've been ousted and exiled I think about those who come to our food ministry who honestly think they're not good enough to walk through these doors and yet they are they can sit among us because we're all imperfect. I know I want it I know I enjoy feeling the healing hands of each other when I see you guys in the greetings. But this is a very, very important, very important situation that takes place here because in the next couple of weeks, we're asking people to come back. We're seeking them out time and time again to come back. They're gonna make an appearance back here at Solid Rock and we want them to feel welcome. We want to touch them. We want them to understand that we love them. Certainly we wouldn't do that to one of our kids. You don't even do it to your animals. We probably touch our animals more than we touch other people. I know I do. I touch the dog and the cat. But do you want it? Do you want Jesus to touch you in your lives? Stand with me as we go to our closing prayer and our